But you must be the only Indian, right, or even Asian in a whole other world who's called Oleg Kushnetsov. There are more Asians involved in football than you would expect. There are nowhere near as many Asians involved in football as there should be. Join us on the Our Game 2 podcast as we celebrate the ones that are and discuss the ones that aren't. Okay, hello and welcome to this week's show. First of all, I've got with me Kevil. How are you doing, Kevil? Excellent. And we've got Z as well. What's going on, Z? Not much, mate. How are you doing? Uh, yeah, very well. Thank you very much. I'm also, we also have with us today another heavyweight, and I'm delighted to welcome to the show Raj Atwal. How are you doing, Raj? Yeah, very well, and, and thank you for having me on as well. Mate, honestly, it's our pleasure. Thank you very much for coming along. So, for those who don't know who Raj is, I'll allow him to tell his story in a short while. Most recently, he's been working with Burton Albion, Port Vale before that. He's also he's the, consult, or the lead consultant for Arena Red, which looks at the commercial opportunities for football clubs. And he has worked as senior commercial positions at some of the biggest clubs in the world. So, Raj, first of all, let's just start. Where, if you don't mind me asking, first of all, just so our listeners know, what is your ethnic background? Uh, I'm uh, Indian, so uh, and Sikh. Indian Sikh. Okay, cool. Yeah. And what football team do you support? I'm a huge Coventry City fan, and I will say that I've also uh, got a soft spot for Rangers as well, Glasgow Rangers. Okay, so without giving away too much, have you always had a soft spot for Glasgow? Is that a more recent thing? Uh, no, um, I've always been a huge Coventry City fan, born and bred there. Uh, but with Rangers, because of their domination in the uh, during the eighties, it was it was just one of those clubs that I uh, that I enjoyed watching. Okay. Fair enough. And so where were you when Coventry won the FA Cup? I'd love to say I was at Wembley. I actually wasn't at Wembley. I was at home watching the, uh, watching the game. So it was a, it was an amazing, amazing spectacle. Okay. Well, it's more recent than West Ham, so congratulations <laughs> on yeah. that. Okay, Raj, so would you like to just give us a few minutes, just tell us your story of... I mean, first of all, you have a book out. The book is called A British Raj. I've read it and it covers, I think it covers up until what, 2016, 2017? Yeah, 2016 after I just left uh, left Glasgow Rangers. Okay. So do you want to just sort of give us a brief synopsis of your life before football and your journey up to Coventry City? Yeah, well, pri- well, prior to Coventry City, um, as um, like like most kids, really, I was a, I was a huge football fan. I wanted to be a professional. Um, obviously, not good enough. Um, and so from there, after after studying, went to university. Um, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. Football re- really wasn't on the agenda. And and during the the nineties, really, I wasn't aware of, of of what you could what you could achieve in football off the pitch. And um, I got into Coventry City fortuitously, quite, quite frankly. I, um, I happened to be driving past one day with a friend of mine who turned around and said, have you ever thought of working at Coventry City? And, and, and like I said, I, I didn't really have any idea of, of any, any departments that existed or, 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 
or how a business functioned in football. Uh, I was quite oblivious to it all. But lo and behold, I, I thought about it for several days. And, um, and so we decided to, I decided to write a letter. Um, and, and I wrote to the chairman, uh, just asking for an opportunity to see him, not, not for, a, for a role or, or employment, just, just to see him. Because I was applying for, for so many um, jobs and, and different, different roles. I wasn't really, really clear on what I wanted to do at the time. And uh, if, you, if you got a response, you were lucky, mostly rejections. So it was really trying to understand from, from the chairman's perspective how, perhaps how I was coming across. Because on radio, he was excellent. And so I wrote to Brian Richardson, who was the chairman at Coventry City at the time. And he, he wrote back to me. Uh, this is now Christmas 1994. His PA wrote back to me and saying that he's, he's prepared to see you, which, which was uh, unbelievable at the time. You know, someone who's pretty young and just, just graduated and, and, and to get a response from a, from a chairman of a football club. Was was incredible, and um, so I, I went to I went to see him in the new year. I've kept the letter, by the way, that he sent uh, that he that he sent me. And when I went to see him, if if I'm being honest with you, it was more in hope. There were no positions there, but but he gave me the time. And uh, when I walked in, he he sort of just said, you know, what can we uh, what can I do for you? And I just put my CV and and I had the, all the rejection letters on his desk and just said, look. No one's given me a chance, and I'm a big Coventry City fan, um, and and I'd I'd love to work for you. You know, perhaps sell the facilities that you had. Have I did my research before and realised they were opening up new commercial areas, and um, and he looked at me for a while, and I said, "Look, uh, I, I actually did say this to him." And I look back and think, I can't believe I said this, but I actually said to uh, to Brian, I said, "You take me on, I'll make you millions, but just give me a chance." and um, and and he just looked at me, stared at me. He he then asked for the sales director, but before he did, he said to me, "They're not rejections; those those letters." He said, "They're responses. Never look at it in a negative way." And at the time, you don't really think too much of too much of it, but it it did uh, it did strike a chord with me. And um, the the sales director interviewed me, and it was almost he was just going through the uh, through the motions. It was almost a formality because there were no jobs at all. There was no role for me. Um, and then after that, the chairman just wished me the best. Two weeks later, I got a I got a call from the sales director saying, "Can you come and see me?" And uh, when I uh, when I went to see him, I, I knew there would probably be something on the horizon. He wouldn't have just called me. And he said, "We've created a role for you. It was just a telesales role at the time at the club." Um, and he said, uh, "He said we'll pay eight thousand pound a year." I know it's not a lot and I went, I'll take it. You know, they could have paid me less. I would have taken it. Um, because for me, it wasn't the money. It was the opportunity. And I, and I explained from day one, I've always been honest that I have no experience, but I will learn. I'll, I'll do whatever it takes. And, and for someone who's on 8,000 a year, tele sales, bottom of the, of the, uh, of, of the list. Um, I put in the same hours, you know, I was coming in earlier and later for my whole strategy was to learn, uh, and to do the best I could, I didn't want to give anyone any excuses um, to, to 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 perhaps you know dis, 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 discharge me or, 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 or you know after after my um, my period of uh, of employment. Um, so I, I did everything I could, and and it, it's always been at the back of my mind that sometimes I just feel you know maybe it's, a, it's my own Asian concept, but you have to work hard, and I did. I gave them everything I could. 
Um, and then from there in Coventry City, I just uh, I was lucky enough to progress. People sometimes come, they go. Once you're in the system, the dynamics change, and um, people don't see you. Uh, they they just see you as one of their one of their colleagues, and 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 then I'd like to think it's down to down to uh, uh, whatever you achieve on merit. And I was very very lucky to become commercial manager. I was head of commercial. I was part of the executive team that presided over the new. Rico Arena Stadium in 2005, the 116 million pound stadium, I was part of the team that that looked to monetize all the commercial assets there with with the Rico Stadium naming rights and various other um, uh, uh, commercial assets as well and properties that we had. So that that was a huge huge experience for me, and um, so it, it was a very enjoyable time at Coventry. Um, and, and so that's my Coventry journey, if that's what you wanted to know. Okay, and with when you whilst you're doing all the commercial stuff with Coventry, were you targeting local businesses? Local businesses primarily. Um, I was I, there was no training, uh, and just to, just to be clear, we were in the Premiership at the time. There was no HR. The chairman was the HR. So so just to, just to be clear with people, people think HR exists in football. Even to this day, League One, League Two clubs very very few have hr departments or, or give you any training on so i had to learn everything myself it was on the job training um but but you do it when you when you have nothing else uh, when you when you have nothing left in life and, and you're, you're right on your knees you, you'll you'll do whatever it takes but but to answer the question primarily it was local businesses but as time went on i was i was saying to the football club you've got to look beyond your your locality you've got to start looking at regionally you've got to start uh, marketing the club in a different way because the premiership i think it was 92 93 uh since the inception football was starting to grow it was becoming a monster and um and i was always trying to think differently and and we also targeted a lot of uh, the asian businesses and, and i can actually say we um several came on board um at the time i never thought about this i just thought i was i was just carrying out my my, my roles but it's because they resonated with me and, and they felt there was someone inside the club who actually looked like them, if that's the right thing to say. And so a lot of businesses started to connect with me. So across the board, we were getting businesses and not just from the Coventry and Warwickshire area, but we were going out towards Hitchin. We were getting members from Hitchin because of how we were marketing the club. We were head of the game at, at that time. Um, that wasn't just down to me. That was down to a team of people. But I was certainly saying they needed to to think differently. Then we were getting players in from from Sweden and, and across the world. I was saying to them, you need to start looking at partnerships worldwide, commercial partnerships. And we're talking now 99, 2000. Um, but the club at the time just wanted to focus on, on the pitch and, and perhaps uh, regionally, business-wise. They just didn't, in my opinion, I don't feel that at that time that the, the people in charge had a vision of going global, which obviously 15 years later is, is, is something that's happened. So that, that's what we did. Okay. And again, I'm, I'm aware it's detailed in the book for our listeners who don't know. So you're a Coventry supporter, man and boy, and you're working for them. You've got quite a senior role. You've, you're there during some exciting times. I mean, the move to the Rico Arena must have been special for the club at the time. Yeah, it was very special. Um, prior to moving to the arena, the, the idea from the chairman was that we would move to a brand new stadium similar to, to, to Tottenham's where you'd have a, a, a sliding pitch, etc. But that was, that was dependent on, um, on, on England uh, at the time getting a World Cup, which, which obviously we didn't. So, uh, so they, 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 they re- revised the, uh, 
the, the Rica Arena plums, but the Rica Arena itself was was incredible. Um, the, the, it was a beautiful stadium, um, but the uh, the issue that we had at the time was that the football club did not own the uh, the stadium. They could have bought it for a few million, for fifty percent. Again, for whatever reason, the uh, the board decided against it. And um, and as, as it's well documented, they've had issues ever since. And, and the football club at the moment plays at St Andrews in Birmingham. But as a stadium, the planning behind it, the thought process behind it, was 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 really forward thinking. I mean, we're having different types of um, um, sort of coffee shops. Hotel was was built internally. Um, they had a huge a Jaguar exhibition area as well, where you could have concerts, uh, small concerts, large concerts on the pitch. So it was a multi multi purpose venue that at the time was was ahead of its game, and and for me personally to be part of something like that was was very special. Being involved in the commercial aspects of a football club when the Premier League started in 1992, did you have any kind of inkling then as to what sort of financial behemoth it would become? Um, I joined I joined Comedy City in 94-95 season, and at that time the players were on an average about a couple of thousand a week to two and a half thousand a week. I won't name the player, but he went overnight. He went from 2000 to 20,000 pound a week, which was an astronomical amount uh, back then. And, um, and that's when we realized things were changing. Um, And, and with, with the inception of, of of sky uh, and, and the, uh, and the broadcasting rights, it re- you you could just see it was becoming a monster, but but not realise how much of a monster it would eventually become. I think it was during the mid nineties to later on where you start to see it, and players were coming in. We, we were buying seventeen, eighteen year olds on you know, for five grand a week for a club of country size, not not a massive club. It's a big club, but it wasn't the, perhaps the stature of, of Manchester United at the time and, and Liverpool. But they were still paying, uh, I think, reasonable wages for. I know I won't again name the player, but he was. He came. He was eighteen at the time. He, he was on five thousand a week, so we were paying. We start to pay quite a lot. After Coventry, where did your journey take you then? After Coventry, I um I'd been in my comfort zone for quite a while, and I, and I, again I wanted to to experience something different. And with the new ownership, I just felt that perhaps it was time to move on. And so I um I wrote to three, four different clubs that I felt. I could I could go and, and 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 do a very very good job there, and um, and the two clubs that 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 I was really interested in was at the time was Wolverhampton Wanderers and Watford, and and Jez Moxie, uh, I, I got through to the final stages at, at Wolverhampton, and uh, and I remember <laughs> the interview with Jez Moxie. I'd already seen Watford, and and at the time it was Julian Winter, who's now the new CEO at Swansea, and Mark Ashton uh, interviewed me, and he's. He's now at uh, Bristol City. And I just bought into the Watford way. And the Watford way was was very family orientated. It was looking after your staff. It was helping you uh, perhaps achieve your aspirations. And, it, and there was a succession plan. Um, and that appealed to me more than perhaps at Wolverhampton without doing Wolverhampton a, a disservice. I, it just fitted in with my, what, what I wanted. So that's why, why I went to Watford Football Club. And it was... Uh, it was life changing for me because I went in as head of commercial and eventually commercial director under, under the uh, under the um, God bless him Graham Taylor who was an incredible chairman and and Watford was a was different to working at Coventry it was a 
fantastic time there. Um, totally, totally different. And I learned so much there as well. So, so that's why I chose Watford. And how long did you spend at Watford? Uh, just over, I think it was about just over four years, four seasons. So, uh, and it was, uh, like I said, it was, a uh, it was a roller coaster. I mean, football is a roller coaster. I mean, people think you're there, sit, sat there having a cup of tea with a, with a manager on a Monday morning discussing tactics. That doesn't happen. It, it, it's a, it's a very consuming, um, industry. Um, but, but Watford was over four seasons and I, I enjoyed every, every minute of it working with some amazing people. But for me personally, I, I, it was a massive milestone because um, I became commercial director there. And the reason it was a massive milestone for me was because as an, as an Asian, a working class lad who, you know, who, who's trying to fit in with different cultures and, and trying to negotiate and, and engage with different people. It was, it was a dream, you know, there are things that you dream of. If you're not a footballer, you think, okay, I might one day be working in the industry I'd never, you know, I'm a very optimistic guy. I'm a very aspirational, but to become a, to, to, to hit that milestone for me was huge. And not only for me personally, it was also to say that, you know, as, as a community, we can do this. Uh, um, and if we're visible, it can be seen, then, then you know, it, anyone can, can, can do this. And, and ever since that time, I feel I've had a bit of a responsibility on my shoulders, a, a moral and social responsibility because um, of the length I've been in the industry and, and the people I've met. You know, you, you, you're so careful with what you say, what you do. Um, and that's why I, very, I didn't go onto social media until only five years ago, um, just in case, because, you know, it's a massive, all it takes is one wrong move and it can, it can put a community back several years. So, okay. I mean, that's interesting. So did you, how, how did you read, how, sorry, I'm wording this poorly. How did the responsibility come about? Was it people around you saying to you, oh, well done, you're the only Asian or you're not seeing very many. Was it an internal thing? Um, I went to the awards, the, the Asian football awards in 2012 when I was at Watford and, um, and I was, I mean, it was amazing. Uh, catch me I was in I actually didn't think I'd won they called my name out twice because I actually didn't think I'd won uh, the, the award now and it, the award is significant in the fact that you feel you've been recognized which um, award was this sorry it was the Asian football awards at Wembley uh, yeah but which, which award so did it, you win it was behind the scenes behind right. the scenes award so there was some some amazing people in there like Javid Khan who was at the FA and one or two people from Blackburn and other clubs and 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 you know just just to be recognized all of us was, was incredible and um, that's when I looked around and I thought, where is everyone in the football industry? Whilst there were people, there were so many people there from, from our communities um, in the football industry, they were like coaches um, or they're working at grassroots level or they're working for, for um, uh, had their own businesses. But in football itself, I'm talking working full time behind the scenes in football. There's probably four of us. And I'm looking around thinking, where's everyone else? Um, and that's when it opened my eyes up. The, there's a lot of work to be done, really. That's the where the responsibility I felt I put it on myself that it came from, really. I mean, okay, so just going back when you first got into football, was there any, was there anything from your parents about you going in and working for a football club and not even as typical Asian as a, going in as an accountant or a lawyer or anything? Yeah, um, I, I think I've let my parents down all my life. Um, I didn't do very well in my uh, <laughs> uh, uh, GCSEs or O levels at the time. I, I didn't. I, I did well in my A levels. Um, went to study law, uh, East Anglia, and and 
I just I just come to come to terms with leaving home, believing I couldn't wait to leave, and then I was I was struggling with leaving from home, and then uh, I, I didn't pass that course. I then went back and, and studied uh, social policy and, and, and statistics at uh, university, which and it's something I really enjoyed because it involved critical thinking. It was more to do with me, but going back to to what you said, the the stereotypical archetypal. I'm not that person who is into you know accounts um dentist doctor i don't fit any of those uh models and, and it, you know I, I was someone who was just arts based and i had to recognize who i was and my strengths and and realize that there's a, there's a pathway for for all of us irrespective of what we what we go into so so for me yeah they my parents are an old generation you know to them it was you know they only knew a certain professions and when i said that i've um i'm working at Coventry city my dad thought i was a manager honestly and uh i had to sort of explain to him i'm not the manager of the football club i actually work behind i'm gonna be picking up phones and i'm you know doing all sorts and trying to trying to make money for the club so it was quite funny at the time okay and um so after watford i think you had is that when you had the choice between the fa and rangers um okay the, the story behind this is that i went to see one of the directors at uh at the fa they asked me to go and see them and it was organised by, it was the it was Martin Glenn's predecessor, um, Brian Barwick. Not Brian Barwick. It was um, I can't remember the gentleman's name. It was after Brian Barwick. And uh, he said to me, "There's there's a couple of roles coming out." This is before I joined Rangers. And he said to me, "There's going to be a, a sales director's role and a partnerships director role." And he saw me fitting into one of those. So. Uh, at that time, it hadn't been sanctioned by the FA. So I moved to, uh, at the, and then Rangers contacted me and they'd been demoted at this point and said that we need someone to uh, to come in and, and really just rebuild the whole commercial side. Uh, so I, I was at Rangers at this point and I, and when, uh, and I, I just, I don't know why it was called it, um, I don't know, I just, I just called up the FA and said, are these roles still going there? um maybe it was curiosity uh and so they um i didn't i didn't get put through at first and i kept calling and, and something didn't seem right eventually they put me through to the recruitment agency who then contacted me and gave me a piece of work to do within a week that perhaps previous candidates had several weeks to do but i did it i completed it and then they said to me that we can't uh we're not going to put you through to the interview stages um and and I just pressed and pressed them, and I just said, "Look, you need to tell me why, you know, just for my own benefit, because I've got some a director at the FA telling me I'm suitable. You're telling me I'm not, and there's uh, it's not quite adding up for me. And the, and the, when I pushed the uh, the guy, he said to me that actually they've already chosen their candidate. So at that point, I it was no point mo- uh, keep going, and that's what they said. So, but Rangers turned out to be brilliant. Uh, I, I, would I have left Rangers? I don't think so, because I, I enjoyed it. Rangers—they were fantastic people there, uh, and and they met. I was one of them. From the fans, the supporters, the staff, I have nothing but praise for for the whole club. Brilliant club. Just before we started recording, you were telling us about certain apprehensions you had about going to Rangers. Would you like to just share those with us again? Yeah. Um, it, it amongst okay in England, growing up. In the 80s, for me, um, and and experiencing racism, I'm talking I'm talking overt racism because it was normal. 
and and it really was normal for for those grown up in my of my generation and uh you know to be called certain words it was almost you just didn't even react to it that as as people would react now and um and so so that that's internalized as you as you're growing up and then the the british flag for me at the time with the national front was was synonymous with 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 the right wing and so so again these these are these are subtleties and these are images that that you grow up with that you you know not just me but anybody if you saw a british flag you you straight away thought racism and 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 and, and nationalism so rangers as a football club is a british club and i think certainly amongst um friends of mine um and the, and and the asian diaspora was saying to me that when I told them I've got, I've, I've, you know, I'm going to Rangers Football Club, and rather than be happy, they were like, Are "You sure? You know, it's a racist club. It, it's, it's got all these racist connotations. It's, it flies the Union Jack, and, and, um, and you know, I was nervous. And and when I got to the interview, I actually asked the uh, the directors at time. I actually came out and said to them, "Will I will I experience any racism here? Will I be okay?" I actually said that in the interview, and this is I'm going for a senior role, and. I was nervous and and they were they were they were taken back by my question but but equally they uh, they put my any 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 nervousness or fears at ease but saying no no but what brought that up and it was the fact that it's a british flag and then they explained the the cultural um uh, sort of cultural sort of connotations and 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 why is the british flag and and how the football club has evolved and and, and why where where all this has come from and uh, and I must admit, I, I'm not I'm not I'm not ashamed to admit it. I, I, and I think if anyone else goes through my experience, and they're honest enough to say this is because of my childhood, this is because of the experiences growing up, that I just I just didn't want any issues. But I can say, a fantastic football club, and it and it's absolutely brilliant. You know, had a great time there. Difficult question for you to answer, but I guess that's probably one aspect, probably a large aspect of why there are not more Asians in the back end of football clubs because there's a perception there's a perception of do you mean do you mean football clubs in general yeah yeah um though i will say this just very quickly about rangers that when i was there they had uh they had several asian su- supporters and um one of them is a is a is a famous uh i say famous because ali mccoy goes on and on about him is a guy called sati singh and he owns a, a restaurant in in glasgow um uh, called Mr. Sings and uh, and and he's uh, they are passionate whether they're Celtic or Rangers fans they are passionate Asian football supporters just like they are in England in a sense he's even called his two sons after two players um, and, and a very quick story on this guy is when I went to his restaurant uh, he's a huge Rangers fan his restaurant is all in blue and uh, and his son came up to me and he's called Mark Mark Walters and I thought it's just a gimmick, you know, because he's a Rangers fan. His name is actually Mark Singh, and uh, and I thought it was Manjeet or something, or whatever the names that you know that I was thinking of. And I thought he goes, no, no, it's definitely Mark, and it was. And uh, the second one, which Ali McCoy told a story on, and Sati told me this story as well, is that they were um, he was at a Rangers game, and uh, he said on the birth of his son, he said, Do you know what, the next player to score a goal. I am going to call him after my uh, my son will be called after the, after that player, and of all the strikers, I mean, he, I said to him, "Were you shocked?" Because I'm going to tell you the name in a second, and he goes, "It could have been another name." It was, uh, it, oh God, it was the um, 
Michelangelo. Oh God, he was it was the the Russian player, and uh, and that's what he's called now. He's after a Russian player. It's in, it's in my book actually. Yeah, I'm just and, trying to uh, through it so I can find. Yeah, it. yeah. It's right. I forgot. I've got the, the the player's name, and it's uh, it, it will come to me. And he's Oleg, actually named Oleg Kuznetsov. Oleg, Oleg Kuznetsov. That's it. <laughs> and uh, honestly, so when you go into the restaurant, he's got Oleg on his name, and I'm looking at him. You know, he's a he's a He's a, he's a Sikh guy, got a turban, he's called Oleg. And I said, you must be the only Indian, right, or even Asian in a whole other world who's called Oleg Krishnetsov, Singh, or whatever. And, and, um, and his dad was like, I couldn't believe it, but he stuck to his word. He called him it. So uh, it was quite, uh, it's quite funny, actually. But there you go. It, it goes back to what I'm saying, it, that they're quite passionate. But I'm going to have to apologise here. What was your question again? <laughs> I can't remember. I'm just laughing it about it. something to do with football clubs and... Um, um, yeah, I'll just Asian sort of, yeah, Asian sports because we we've discussed this on the podcast before how a lot of football yeah. clubs are in working class areas and obviously it's a yeah. working class associated or have been in the past with with the right wing and hooliganism etc. So I was wondering if you think that's going to a factor in terms of less people not on the plane side but on the the back office side. Being do you mean today? Do you mean today in today's society now? Okay, so my opinion is that there's still a hangover from parents and grandparents, etc., regarding that. But I guess, I mean, look, there've been Asians in large numbers in the UK since the fifties, haven't there? And even yeah. more so since then. And the fact that there aren't more Asians, there's going to be lots of factors. I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on mm. that particular thing being one of them. Yeah, I think there's. There's a, there's a several several factors um, that you're quite right was originally uh, I mean even me going to football I'm talking I, I went from '83 onwards there's, there's there's plenty of people went before me and there was always a, a concern uh, of, of name calling um, even if you're with 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 friends that were white white lads I was quite lucky I never got any issues uh, as a young lad going with friends of mine but we were in the family area so you'd, you'd hope everything will be fine. Um, but yet there, there is a certainly, I think it's just been recently of the last few years where people have looked at a career in football without looking at it in any negative way. Cause you're absolutely right. There were, there were conversations with, with racism and, and, and which then permeated through working for a football club behind the scenes. Cause you're still going to have, um, uh, dialogue and connection with supporters because that's how commercialism works. But I'd say over the last Perhaps 10 years, things have changed dramatically for the better. Uh, football clubs now are global. Their commercial partners are coming from overseas. They're, they're, they're openly saying that they want to deal with, with the Far East and Asia and, and, and across the world. And if you want to do that, of course, you want to monetize your, your assets, which the Premiership have done well and the, and the clubs. And the inception of Sky, you've also got community groups um and and fantastic groups um um asian football groups like like um, the punjabi villains the punjabi rams you've got uh, bangla bantams uh, there's so many different groups out there that football clubs are looking at in my opinion from a commercial aspect so they want to eradicate racism they they'd rather ban 10 15 fans than lose millions of pounds from partners across the overseas so that's how i see it and um, so, so it has changed. They are trying to, in my opinion, uh, changing the face of what it's like working behind the scenes. My concern are the challenges, though, is 
whilst that's been going on for several years, uh, if you look at statistically, I when I joined in 94, 95 Coventry City, I went to my first commercial meeting. There's myself, Abdul Rashid, who'd been in football a long time at Aston Villa at that time. Uh, maybe one or two others, I can't remember. My last meeting, I went representing the, uh, as a consultant for Burton. Similar numbers, maybe a few more. And that's my concern. So I don't think there's an issue of joining football clubs because there's so many different aspects and departments you can join from finance, from ticketing, from retail, um, from, from, from commercial itself has, has a number of roles with, with, within that uh, department. Um, so my question is, why hasn't that translated into, into uh, an increasing number of, 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 of employees from, from other communities? That, that's the challenge, I think. On a commercial side, do you think do you think British clubs are doing enough to target Asian both fans and businesses? Are they missing a trick there? Absolutely, and and I had this conversation not long ago on on, on, a, uh, on a on a recent show. Um, <clears throat> they talk a, right, they talk a good game, and and I, this is me now being absolutely honest. There's a lot of football clubs that are doing a lot of good work, um, but for me. Symbols are great. Joining up with various groups, um, even even with the community work, a lot of community work they do, and 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 you know, there's some clubs that are that are joining various other groups right across the the spectrum. That's all great, but is your football club genuinely reflective of the communities you're trying to serve? And and you know, if everyone's being honest, the answer is no. And um, are they doing enough? They can do more. Um, from recruitment, from from their HR, um, from from, and it's got to come from the top. Uh, so whilst I've been challenged, and people said, "But we've got foreign owners." Yes, we have foreign owners, but we don't have foreign decision makers, and um, so they're still living within their bubbles of of their of their how they were brought up and their and their and perhaps their own experiences of life, and perhaps not understanding that, in my opinion, that that if you really want to bring different communities aboard. Um, give them the equal opportunity. It has to be on merit. I've always said that uh, it has to be on merit. But but there, there are challenges, and, and, and as I keep saying, it goes back to to training and understanding that you know, are you even little subtleties of, of a name or a faith? Possibly, I'm not saying people deliberately miss people out because of that. But the, the, something's not working, is what I'm saying, and I feel there could be more done because football should be reflective of the communities they serve. It, it's the one sport, like many others, but it's the one sport that galvanises communities. You look at Liverpool, you look at United and several clubs up and down the country, you will see huge um, you know, black and Asian faces. I mean, uh, Liverpool, United, they're, they're obvious, they're there. Uh, and the businesses, they're all disposable incomes. I was saying to a club the other day, I said, did you know in 2012, the BAME spending is 300 billion. Do you want a part of that? So whilst clubs are making millions and millions, how many millions are they missing out? Because they haven't got someone from particular communities that they can resonate and, and, and have those, those cultural conversations and, and, and connections. So I think there's a lot more they can do and should be doing. I don't think it's enough, in my opinion. Okay, Zeke, um, feel free to chime in at any point. On the footballing side, I know you've been more involved in commercial, but do you know if Asians or the lack of Asians playing football is on the radar at all of either any of the clubs you've spoken to or worked at before? 
Um, I had the chairman several times uh, at Coventry say to me, you know, we'd love to uh, we'd love to have a an Asian footballer genuinely because he, he for for several reasons because um, because Coventry is is, is quite a uh, multicultural city and uh, and he genuinely wanted to 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 see progression of uh, uh, of footballers from all communities. Um, the, the the truth of it is that many many years ago there were stereotypes. Those stereotypes for me have have almost now almost been eradicated because we've got some fantastic coaches from our communities that are now scouting that are influential in in decision making um and i'm i'm certainly starting to see a a, a larger quota of, of certainly asian kids in in academies the big question is and the challenge is is for me the day i feel we've made it is when i see an asian kid's uh name on on, on the back of a shirt uh, or team sheet for a first team, not a reserve team, not a development team, not under twenty three team. That's the day I feel that we, we're making progress. Um, and I, are we far enough? Are we close enough? I don't know because we have these conversations every year, and I've been waiting for a player for many years. Um, you know, I don't think it's now down to diet. You know, the outdated uh, stereotypes. It's not down to strength. Um, I just. I don't know what it is. I mean, what I will say is that, that 85, 90% of academy kids will never make its professional footballers. So then we've got to look at the proportion of perhaps Asian Asian kids that are in academies. But even to this day, I think, what, not even one? I mean, we've got, I think it's it, Dan Danda. There's a couple of players at Villa. Uh, I spoke to, forgot, uh, is it Solomon? I can't remember. He's, he's a cracking player. I, I spoke to him a, about a year or two a year ago at Aston Villa. So there are a couple of players coming through now. But for me, the day they've cracked it is the day they're in the first team um, playing week in, week out, and then we can we can start shouting about it. I mean, there has been a handful in the Premier League. But having said that, Z, you probably know the answer to this. I'm trying to think. All the names I can think of have been mixed heritage and therefore their names have been like Carter or Taylor, etc. Apart from Hamza Chowdhury, have we had any... Well, single ethnic, single ethnicity heritage kids can't make it. Well, if you're talking about the Premier League, we've had um, Zesh Roman, who's at Fulham. Of course. Uh, Marco Chopra. Uh, I guess Chopra and Roman are names that we can resonate with. Uh, lately, we've had Neil Taylor. I guess Taylor wouldn't be a typical uh, name that resonates with Asian communities, although we did interview Nietzsche Taylor in previous episodes so hmm. I guess that that certainly is within our community um I, I get Raji's point about players being in um on team sheets also being first teams as well but it also depends on what level we're looking at as well I think would you say Raj like you've been at different levels of of football you've been with different clubs in different divisions if we've got a player, say someone like Mel Benning, who's been six years now at, at Mansfield Town, um, and he's a first he's a first teamer. He's been he's their longest serving player at the moment. Is that good enough? Would you say because he's playing in League Two um, as a community? Should we be getting behind someone like him to say that we we appreciate all levels of football? Or that, would you say the real impact's going to be when there's someone at Premier League level? Who's playing week in week out? Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. First of all, you're, you're right. Any level that um, we find Asian players, we've got to support them because whatever level they're at, 
it gives us a platform to 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 start um, to, to start improving ourselves. And and what he's achieved, by the way, at Mansfield was unbelievable because I, I think he was at Warsaw prior to that. And uh, again, you know, for me, he should be at a higher level. I've seen him play. He's a great player. There's a lot of Asian players now at uh, non-league level as well. Um, the only reason I said Premiership is because I feel it's almost then you're accepted that you're good enough to play. And I think you, you mentioned, was it Zesh? He's the last player I can think of, the, you know, a, an Asian player that's played at, at, at top level. I think, I could be wrong. I, I think um, maybe Dan Dan, I don't know if, he's, if he actually played in the Liverpool first team, but I, I'm struggling. Um, so, yeah, players at all levels, I feel, is a milestone, whatever they, wherever they are, because they are giving the next uh, kids uh, an opportunity. And it's also, um, for me, educating the, those football clubs and, and the coaches there and the managers to say, you know, it should be on ability uh, as opposed to anything else. And, and it takes away all the, all the stereotypes. So absolutely. But going back to what I was saying earlier, I'm not reason I'm saying premiership is because it's worldwide. It's looked upon everywhere. And, and it would just be great to see uh, uh, an established player, Asian player, go come through the ranks and, and make it, which, you know, whenever that will be, um, because that's, that's, that's another big milestone, but, but, you know, People like Mel Banning and, and various other players are absolute respect for them. They're doing things that I could only dream of. Cool. Okay. Kev, have we got any questions at the moment? No, nothing so far, actually. I'm actually quite enjoying listening to this uh, conversation. So, uh, yeah, keep, keep going. I'm really enjoying this, actually. Okay. So, Raj, have you... Okay. So, you've had certain conversations with with chairman. You've said in the past, but has there been? Have you come across any particular or specific strategies, be it for players or the commercial side of the game, to target the Asian market? Commercially, yes, not really players. And I think, I think with players, it's because I, I'm I'm commercial. So uh, uh, until the only time we ever discuss players is if I'm talking to the manager or the coach. I don't really bring up uh, Asian players um, or, or the subject of it um, unless it's, it's, it's pertinent to do so. But the only time players are, or the Asian community is brought up is in executive meetings uh, uh, that we used to have because there's always an emphasis on there's all these Asian businesses and how do we get them on board? And, uh, and my answer is always, well, you know, you've got, to, you've got to connect with these people. You've got to engage with them. It's not just taking their money. It's also understanding... Um, the, the, the community and that's where the now and I've been saying this for a long time where the community departments have now start to come into their own and, and they're and they're collaborating with the commercial departments as well which is which is massive but that it's it's always a topic of conversation with Asian business not just in the UK but overseas um uh, but one thing I've never understood and I, and I had a had a joke with one of the chairmen uh, several years ago I said the Asians came here they totally revolutionized retail they can revolutionise the football, but you just got to give us a chance to do that. And so, you know, it's there's. I, I, I don't mean to sound pessimistic. It's just that I've been in the industry now full time, twenty five years. I've not really seen much change. Um, so, whilst there is a, there's a, there's a, you know, until we get a will to change, um, you know, and, and and from the top, top down, and bought in from bottom up, then then we're still going to have these conversations. I have seen progress, by the way. I'm seeing some great progress um, in, in some clubs. I mean, Queen's Park Rangers are doing an excellent job. There's one or two other clubs that, that, that are doing fantastic in terms of diversity. 
but they all recognize they need to embrace it. They need to embrace diversity in, in a sense that if you are a truly a global football club, then I keep saying this on merit, then then your your football club should reflect the communities you're trying to serve. It's not difficult. I've got I've got a question, Apu, um, for Raj. Uh, Raj, I just wonder what your thoughts are on the uh, the notion that we might be actually going too far in some circumstances to promote equality. So obviously, the general notion is that positions in football clubs or you know particularly playing positions should be based on merit. They should be based on talent. Do you think that these positive action, um, these positive action um, ideas or uh, policies that clubs are putting into into place are actually going to have the opposite effect of promoting Asian diversity in football? In the sense that these positions will then be granted based on the fact of, you know, tokenism, for example, rather than actual ability. It, that, that's a really good question. I've said it all the way through the uh, through through this uh, conversation that for me all positions should be based on merit, um, and, and I and I genuinely believe that because you can't. It's very difficult to employ someone at the detriment of that organisation, and also for someone to feel that they were they were perhaps more qualified for the role, irrespective of their race, religion, or colour. And uh, so, if it was my business, I'd want the best people for that job. So that's not in question for me. It should be on merit. However, um, it's access to those jobs, which I think is the challenge. Um, uh, and that's for me is access, transparency, accountability. They are three key elements for me that is, that is perhaps stopping uh, uh, certain communities from, 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 from perhaps getting into football. Because it still is based on nepotism, even to this day. Mm-hmm. It's based on nepotism. And I've been a beneficiary of this, by the way. Um, but if you look at my journey into football, it wasn't straightforward either. So, so I, going back to your question, I, I believe it should be on merit. I, um, tokenism never works. Um, it, it will only it will only be detrimental to 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 the to the organisation in the end. Uh, but there should be equality. There should be in terms of transparency, accessibility. And accountability, they're, they're three key, key areas that if we have that, then the best people will get the jobs and whoever they are. And this is this is this is the thing that I keep going back to when I think of this argument, because I, I run the situation a lot through my through my head just because I've been involved in football as well. And for me, I've never really understood what equality looks like. And I say this because clubs always talk about equality and I, I read a lot of Twitter statements as well. And the word gets thrown around so much, but but what does equality really mean? As someone who's worked in organisational football, what what does equality mean for these clubs? Do you have the definitions or kind of an idea that you could give our listeners of what that actually means? That's a brilliant question. Um, you know what? Equality for me personally is is equal opportunities, um, but. But going beyond that, definition-wise, I think you need an expert, um, perhaps on that. I'm not. I'm not avoiding it. It's just I'm not a, an expert uh, on that. I'm, I'm perhaps from a from a simplistic point of view. To me, it's just everybody having equal access to uh, to, to to positions in in, in football. Mm. Uh, but you, you, it's a brilliant question uh, for someone who's an expert that could that could answer it. But in football, besides the top top clubs, HR, if you actually go around. Uh, championship 
not all, especially League One and Two. The chairman is your, or the commercial director is your HR, um, and that mostly the time is outsourced. Or I won't mention the club, but you know you've got certain people doing HR, looking at other areas that have no experience of it, um, and and, it, and it's wrong. But they do that for because whether it's they can't afford to have people in, or, or because they, it's still run. Um, in, in in a very old-fashioned way, um, and, and football clubs, whilst it, it's modern in the sense of what you what you see, you know, perception's not always reality. Uh, behind the scenes, it's still still very um, very parochial, I think. Okay, and if you, I know Sanjay Bandari wrote recently in the Times. Um, he wrote a bit of a manifesto, and he was talking about unconscious bias training and we know the Tories have famously turned that down recently. Do you think something like that would help? Do you, what, do you think it's just nepotism or do you think there is an element of bias too in regards to on the, in the back office side employment figures of BAME candidates? Yeah, I think um, there's a number of reasons. Um, look, I've been in football now for, for several years. I can hand on heart say that I've never experienced over racism, you know, and and people have, have questioned me even on radio. Come on, there must be something. I'm not going to make something up. But what I do believe is that it's also because football is so huge worldwide, and people think it's a massive industry. Yes, there's a lot of revenue, but behind the scenes, outside of your top eight to ten clubs, there's not that many positions that that, that are available, and so you've got competition for positions. Um, there's nepotism. Now, when people go to other football clubs, because it's very cutthroat, they want to have people with them that they can trust. That's not just on the pitch, that's off the pitch. Um, and then, so you, you, you've, you've got all those anomalies you, you're, you're dealing with. Um, and over and above that, it's, it's just, could there be unconscious bias? I can't, I can't rule that out either. Um, so, that, so there's a lot of areas. But like I said, I've been a beneficiary of, of nepotism, I have to be honest. Uh, when I say a beneficiary, where someone's recommended me or put me forward, so so Rangers called me. Even with Watford, it was a similar situation. Same at Wolverhampton. So someone could say, "Well, look, Roger, you're Asian. You got through." Um, you know, and and all I'm saying is that that is the culture of football, um, and it's. But now they they want to they want to commercialise. They want to become global. They want supports from all communities. With that now in mind, they there has to be a shift in in their paradigm of of how they how they operate. They really do. But I I just don't really have have the answers really. Um, you know, just sat here just thinking about it. There's there's so many things they can do. Um, but it's got to be the right person for the for the job, and it and it's got to be on merit. But as I go back to what I said previously, but it's having that access uh, and, and the knowledge of how to how to apply for these positions in the first place and what to do. Okay, Kevil Z, any questions before I wrap up with Raj? All right, uh, Raj. My question was regarding when you're talking about jobs and and, and getting it on merit. But your journey has been uh, climbing the ladder, right? Starting from the bottom, as you mentioned, and then get into a, a position of power. And another example I was just looking at now was Vinay Venkateshan, who is the CEO at Arsenal. So he's been at the club for 10 years, starting off in a uh, position, I think, job title, being head of global partnerships. And now he's the, the big cheese at Arsenal now. Um, 
do you think in the immediate future it's going to be individuals from our community who are going to stumble upon and climb up and go through the struggle of climbing up rather than being uh, identified or headhunted for positions that they deserve on merit, if you know what I'm trying to say. So if there was like a senior role available, we're not going to be considered for that just yet. It's more a case of someone going to work their way up to that position. And that's time that that it's going to take time for us to get there. Uh, Do you know what? That's that's a brilliant question. It's, um, I don't think it's there's, it's a straightforward answer. I mean, with Vinay, I think he he uh, he he knew the owners there pretty well, and uh, he's he's comes from a financial background, and so that that's really he's done a fantastic job there. To be fair to him, um, and again, he will be a a brilliant role model to show at top level what what people can achieve. But going back to your question of, of getting through, um, I when people come to me. And they say, what should we do, Raj? I said, you can either apply for jobs as they come out, but you'll be thousands of other people applying. My answer to everybody is very simple. Do what I did. Write to the chief exec, write to the chairman, because nobody writes to these people. They don't. They'll go through the normal processes of HR. They'll go through normal processes of just applying for positions that come up through recruitment agencies. You will be up against so many people. But if you want to stand out, then you have to be different. And, and, I'm telling you now, that's probably the, the one of the best ways to get through, unless you know the owners um, and they're taking over a football club and you're part of their plans, that's great. But for me, that's that's probably the, although it's, uh, it's a bit left field, it's probably the best way to, 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 to stand up against anything. Um, and, and that's what I, I'm telling um, people that come to me and say, What's, what would you do? And I'm saying, do this, because they're looking for people that are different, people that, that are not just going through the normal processes. Uh, and protocols be different uh, because football is different and the way they think behind the scenes in football is different and uh, so you've got to you've got to almost show show perhaps um, creativity and, and doing things in in, 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 a, in, a, in, a, in a perhaps a not not the straightforward way that's what I would my advice is to most people in fact everybody okay fantastic I don't know if it's answered your question or not whether it's time for uh, the you know I'll, I don't think there is a timing on this. I, I think it's just whether it's it's a little bit of luck. It's it's a little bit of uh, just doing things in, in a, perhaps in a in a, a, an orthodox way. Um, and and then once you're in those positions, all I ever say to people is, and I've not done this, and I genuinely can say this hand on heart, is not draw the drawbridge up once you've made it, because there are one or two people from our community that have suddenly done well, and then that's it the bridge comes up and they don't want to help anyone uh, for whatever reason. I think that's, that's wrong as well. Okay. So at the moment, it seems like any kind of progress that's been made is piecemeal. One club might do something here. Another club might do something there. Do you think, do you think it's possible to have a centralized approach, I guess? And if so, who should take ownership of that? Yeah, if you're taught, uh, you're right. It is. I do feel it's piecemeal. Um, I don't feel that. That I, I think. I mean, now with with uh, recruitment, uh, certainly at football clubs, there's uh, there's tick boxes. Um, the you, you apply for a position, they they want to know your background and many other things for maybe for their statistics. 
Um, whether that makes a difference or not, I don't know. But centralised, yes. I advocated that several years ago. Um, I feel there needs to be a recruitment firm where anybody can apply for it, irrespective of your, your race, religion or colour, name. Everything comes off. You can filter it through. It should be people from, from a, perhaps from, from a, a background of those that have worked in a, in a particular industry, uh, in this case football, um, that can also guide these people because a lot of the time they don't even the CVs not might not be right or or to or to perhaps uh, when they're applying for these roles to to to, to get out of them uh, the the, uh, the their strengths and 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 perhaps areas of that they need to highlight more so than what they think is should be in there. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I've I've been saying it for years that there needs to be somewhere where we've got a bit of faith, we've got a bit of belief in a perhaps a recruitment agency that's that's connected with the FA and all the governing bodies and any any roles that come out of football from maybe middle to senior management goes through this recruitment agency as well, and no one feels afraid to apply, thinking it's a waste of time. Um, that's what I feel. Okay, fantastic. Raj, finally, is how, what are you up to at the moment? How can people either see what you're doing on social media or get in touch if they wanted to? Yeah, I'm on, uh, I'm on LinkedIn. I've had several people contact me on LinkedIn uh, just asking questions about football. If I can help, I'll help. If I can give contacts, I'll do the same. Uh, me personally now, I'm, um, I'm looking to go into Europe. I'm, uh, I'm speaking to, to two clubs in Europe at the moment. Um, unfortunately the current situation um, has, has slowed the process down but that's what I'm doing for me it's just really trying to broaden my horizons and and, and develop my own skill set because we're always learning uh, and there's always new things coming out that I'm learning about so it's just trying to do whatever I can and, uh, and as I said it try and do as much as I can for our communities because they've done a lot for me as well fantastic Raj thank you very much for your time thank you good I think the fact that we're all connecting the podcast everything yeah it's, it's brilliant and I, and I love the fact that Apple's put together a podcast which focuses on Asians in football as well 100% um, it's only I'd say the last five years maybe six years that i'm starting to see things happen really so but it's great i was going to ask you something right i know we got a chance yeah. to we'll have a chance to chat yes. on the pod as well yeah. but the question i have is i've known about you a long time and i've kind of followed that journey where you've been with different clubs and all that when you've had people approach you in the past has it in terms of percentage wise how much have it been about um asking advice in a way that's going to help them or asking you to basically do all the hard work for someone. Do you know, do you know what I mean by that? What I'm saying is then when we talk about when we open doors, or if we get to a position then we should open doors for others. I agree with that wholeheartedly, but we know there's also a lot of work that goes into it as well. It's not just a case of here's the door, here's the ladder, climb yeah. up it. It's, yeah. There are rungs that are difficult and there are challenges. Yeah. And yeah, totally. when you go through those challenges and the wrongs, there's an appreciation yeah. of that work that you've had to put in to get there. Do you sometimes feel so, that maybe not so much now, but previously when people have approached you, they expect you to almost work a miracle um, to get them a position or yeah. get them a conversation or open the door for them? Yeah. I think to, to be fair, Z, is, uh, is it Z, by the way? Yeah. My, yeah, my name is Zaheer, but Z is fine. Z, yeah. Um, now, 
all I can say is that um, when I first started off in football, the, the only person I, I went to, because I resonated with him, was you may have heard of a guy called Abdul Rashid. And yeah. he was the Villa commercial manager. Yeah. And I went to him because of obvious reasons that from a cultural perspective and, and he was Asian. And he helped me a lot. Now, since that time and he's moved on, I it's only in the last two to three years since I've been on the social media platforms. And I was fortunate enough to um to be highlighted with the uh, with the Asian Football Awards, that suddenly I've I've had uh, several people from from our communities come and contact me. Prior to that, I could have been at fault here, Z, because I didn't. All I was focused on was my career. I didn't think of anything outside my career, and I was very low profile myself. Mm. And it's only when I joined Rangers that I realised people start to contact me for advice. To this day. I've never turned anyone away, even if it's a little bit of advice, because I know how difficult it was and still is. Yeah. And so to give you an example, um, whilst I was doing my consultancy work with Burton, there's a young Asian girl who contacted me. I've got her into Watford, um, but I've told her that don't expect to go to the top because it's not easy. There's so much to do. Go Answering your question from earlier. Um, and some people do think, it's only football. Um, or it's only dealing with people. There, there's so it's so complex that it takes a few years to understand the, the the complexities in the commercial game, and then you can start climbing a ladder. But that's another conversation in itself, Z, which which I'm happy to discuss. Uh, yeah. Anyway, which is it's it's we have some challenges, big big challenges. Even if you are the best, you have to be better than the best. Yeah. Uh, quite frankly. Agreed. Um, last time we were, I was on the pod with um, with Zapu and with Kevil as well. Yeah, and I, I mentioned a point about coming from a place of positivity and and power. And what I mean by that is, you worked in a position, you have a job title, but you've got the years experience, and that's a position of power. So yes, there are struggles, but we all have our own areas of expertise. And when we talk about Football right now we'll talk about it from an introductory perspective, depending on the audience we're referring to, right? But you could also have a conversation comfortably with the higher echelons in sport, not just football, yeah. but in sport and business, because yeah. of the job jobs that you've had, the experience that you had, and skill set that you've got, and just who you are, and that that confidence you have in who yourself. So we don't have that kind of. I'm, you know, Asian, I've achieved all these things, but I shouldn't be here because I don't see anyone else around. You're, you're Raj. You're not carrying a community with you. You're that one guy. So when you're in, a com- in that conversation with certain people, you don't have that, I, I mean, I, I'm making an assumption, but you don't have that kind of, am I, you know, where you're being in this conversation with these people? Like, I, I don't, I've never had the Imposter anyone, syndrome, like, inferiority complex thing, right? I am. Um, that thing, yeah. I, I mean... Z, earlier I, in my career, I did. Earlier in my career, I did. Of course, I that of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, uh, that Apu said, early on in my career. And a lot of it is down to my experiences and growing up. I grew up during the 80s. I sure. grew up during a period where, where National Front skinheads was prominent. You had to be yeah. aware of your surroundings. Um, being called a packy, it was normal, okay? Yeah. To the point, the, the reaction isn't the reaction that you'd have now. It was mm. almost like it was part and parcel of living and life. 
So you've got yeah. to understand that my, because of my, my childhood experiences, I'm not, by the way, I'm not saying I was um, bullied or anything like that, not at all, but I was aware of what was going on. Yeah, I was called names every so often when you're a kid and, and you got older kids and that changed. But those experiences stay with you. Mm. And it's, it's the difficulty sometimes is, is, is when you're in a workplace is trying to divide that and almost trying to, to, to put it into perspective and, and say, look, that was childhood times. And, and, and sometimes it's difficult. And I had, to do, I had to almost come to terms with what happened in my childhood throughout um, even applying for jobs, positions, hearing subtle comments, trying to fit in culturally with, with, in, in the football world. In the, in, I'm talking mid-90s now. Yeah. It wasn't easy because if you didn't fit in, you were a victim. Right, you were me, seen you. almost as, as the problem. So I sure. did, and I, and I went along and with it as well. Can, I, can I just stop you there for a minute? Because all this stuff is fascinating, and I think <laughs> I'd like to hear it when we do the actual yeah, yeah. recording bit. And Get stuff. the code away, man. Z is too <laughs> good for this. <laughs> Z, <laughs> Z, I Z's eager I, That's what it is. Can I, can I mention something? You're, you're, there's one thing that you mentioned just now. So I'm 35. I was born in 85. I live in East London in Green Street. Five minutes from where I am with a pub that used to be a national front front hall. It's gone now. It's Which one? Carpenter's Arms? Uh, the one off Plastic Grove. I can't remember what it's called, but oh, I think okay, it's that different one. one. It was opposite the old, the old wimpy bar that used yeah, to be yeah, here yeah. in Green Street. I've, I've had some interesting so experiences used... at the Carpenter's, which is the other end. Yeah. Uh, which one's that one? Carpenter's. I'm sure it's called the Carpenter's Arms. Um... Is that the top end of Green Street, opposite where the police station is now? Oh, okay, sure, sure, sure. I get you. I get you. Yeah, I walked into that pub once, and this was right. I must have been about twenty, so we're talking about midnight. Actually, after university, it's so around ninety-five, ninety-six. I walked yeah. in. This is ninety-five, ninety-six. Not even that long ago. The no. bloke behind the bar just looked at me and my mate who'd walked in. He goes, "Turn around." Just. Didn't just want like to that. Go. Just like that. Turn around, and that's it. So yeah, but there that's you go. Much. But my, my the the thing I was making just just on that because I I was ten years old in the nineties, but eighty five I was born. Eighty between the back end of the seventies and the eighties, early eighties here we had massive issues with National Front. Mm. If I was born ten years earlier, like my brother in law was ten years older than me, he went through that at school. He went through battles at school. But I didn't grow up in the area. I, I know about it, but I never had that full frontal experience. I've probably experienced more of the, the subtle kind of workplace yes. discrimination. But even maybe I've noticed or I haven't noticed it because, you know, I, I try to remain as positive as possible. I've not had those direct racism incidents, but I can't deny they haven't happened because I've heard all the stories and I know people have gone through it. So completely understand where certain people will have certain, uh, you know, experiences that they carry through with their life. And yeah. you can't shake that off. I, I, don't, I don't think it's easy to shake off. I remember speaking to someone when I was in journalism about supporting England because we're doing a feature on Asian fans. And he goes, I will never wear the shirt. I will never support the England team. And I would never wear the Free Lions because that represented to me skinheads cracking my head open. And that... Is it? I know that's the reason I will never support England. Z, and... let me tell you a quick story. When I went to Glasgow Rangers, now huh. um, Glasgow Rangers, for anyone who's not been, especially amongst the Asian community, was a racist football club. 
Mm. And when I took the job, uh, a friend of mine was saying, where are you going? I said, Glasgow Rangers. He said, what? You know, you're going to get races. You're going to do this because of the Union Jack. That is one of the most kindest uh, places I've been. It, it, it's an unbelievable football club. They're very inclusive. Um, but I was worried. You know, in my interview, I actually asked the question. I actually said, will I get any racism? I, I was that, and I've been in football at that time for 18 years um, yeah. because of the British flag. And they looked at me shocked, almost thinking, are you on another planet here? And, uh, it, but that was a perception of some football clubs like Millwall, like Chelsea, like a lot of clubs at the time, um, you know, that, that you get, um, you know, I was, I was started going to football games. My mum and dad, well, my dad reluctantly let me go with friends. I started going in 1983. I'm a big Coventry fan. And Coventry was, um, was okay. I never got any issues. A lot of my friends were, were mixed. Um, but I was on the march in 1981, the big march in Coventry, uh, the, uh, when we had uh, one murder, Asian murder, mm. and we had um, attacks by the National Front. I was only a little kid. I mean, uh, uh, eight or nine at the time. But... Um, that's where Errol Christie, the, the famous black, black boxer, um, said that that's where, at that point, black and Asian and white people got together. And at that point is where he felt we were all one community because uh, it really was that bad. Uh, we couldn't go to, you couldn't go to mosques, you couldn't go to temples, you couldn't go anywhere. We were told not to go. This is 1980-81. This is ridiculous. And that lives with you. So it's from a career perspective, I feel that, and again, we'll talk about this later. It has affected me, Z. I'm not going to lie about it today. And um, even at my age now, yes, you know, very good, I've just turned 50, it still affects me when I go out. Even if I go out with friends to a pub, do you know, I'm still looking to see what type of pub it is. Because in Coventry, there are certain pubs you couldn't walk in. Mm. Um, and we're only talking about the 80s and the 90s even. Um, so I'm always aware of my surroundings. I, I can't shift it. It's not right, but I can't. That's, that's what we're still dealing with. My kids, totally different. Totally different. So it's, it's one of those things, and, and it's things we have to learn to manage, don't we, to, to help the next generation of people. And that's what my purpose now is to, is to, is to where I can and set up academies for, for people where I can go and talk. And kids that want to go into football from our communities, I'll go through everything with them, but I don't know who does this. I've got everything. I've got all the knowledge and experience. I've got the presentations. I just need a platform to go and say, right, whoever wants to go into football commercially, this is what you have to tackle and this is how you do it. And I'm more than happy to do that. Okay, firstly, Kevil, this is Raj, Raj, Kevil. Good to see you as well, Kevil. Cool. Um, have you listened to any of our shows so far, Raj? I'm not going to lie to you. When you first got in touch with me, the only one I was aware of, didn't listen to it, but aware of was the, uh, last week with Manisha. Okay, right, yep. Yeah, so this is new to me, um, but it's the first podcast I've ever done, by the way. I've turned, sorry, I'm going to sound a bit bragging here. I'm not. I, I just weren't comfortable doing other podcasts. I've been asked quite a few times. The only reason I'm doing it is because it is about Asians in football. Yeah. Okay, <clears throat> which is good to hear. I mean, I, I've mentioned, look, I read your book a while back. Where is it? Oh, it's raw it and honest, by the way, and I wrote it deliberately that way. I could have got a ghostwriter. I didn't want it to be. Yeah, which I... Yeah, that comes through. And also, I mean, you do mention Asians, Asians in football and stuff in there as well. It's not something that you shy away from, which I think could be quite easy for someone in your position in terms of rocking the boat, etc. Just before I start, what, 
what are you doing now? Because I know you've set up, it's Arena Red, right? Yeah, and yeah. I know you were recently at Burton, but when I introduce you in terms of who you are now, who are you now? Okay, at the moment, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, I'm not working at the moment, Apu, just, just to be upfront and honest with you, but okay. uh, Arena Red is a, it's a consultancy I started when I left Rangers, so I'm a, I'm a lead, um, I guess I'm, I'm, the, I'm the lead consultant with Arena Red, and, and I can very briefly explain what it is. It's to help lower league football clubs with my experience and knowledge, so that's why I was consulting at Burton for several years, helping the chairman, and prior, prior to that, I was helping Port Vale, uh, the chairman there, Norman Smurthwaite. Um, and then the idea is to just it was just to broaden my horizons and, yeah. and, and really connect with global brands and, and rights holders and, and help them really that's why I did it 